Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. Sunday, we were uh, back in the book of Acts, kind of getting back on track with our Through the Bible, and we did kind of a review of the book of Acts. And we were talking um, about the dramatic conversion of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who was the bad guy when we meet him. He was the guy standing there while the people who stoned Stephen, the first martyr, to death. They put their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and it was shortly after that that he was dramatically converted on his way to Damascus. And uh, I suggested Sunday, and it remains my conviction, that somebody was praying for Saul. Uh, And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. In Paul's case, we see it in a very dramatic fashion. And I also shared with you Brother Mac Gober's testimony, uh, how he also experienced a very dramatic uh, conversion and, and really a point where he came when he was introduced to Christ, really in an open vision. It's the kind of thing that you just really can't resist And it was confirmed in his case that somebody had been praying faithfully for him. Um, But what happened in both of those cases is they came face to face with Jesus. He made himself known to them. And it is absolutely true, I believe, that uh, in every case, salvation ultimately comes about only after somebody is supernaturally made aware of who Jesus is. I believe it is really beyond the ability of the mind of sinful fallen man to really see Jesus for who he is until God reveals him. All right? This is important. Now, for somebody like me, uh, for instance, there, there was never any real doubt because I was raised going to church. The doctrine I was getting was, I guess I could say, incomplete but accurate. Okay, I understood, I didn't understand, but I believed the doctrine of the Trinity. Therefore, I believed that Jesus Christ was Lord and God, that he was Son of God and God the Son. I just needed someone, and that someone finally was my mother, uh, to explain to me what I had to do to appropriate uh, the finished work of Jesus Christ for my salvation. Uh, But even that was a supernatural work of God. Uh... I needed to trust in Jesus, place my faith in his finished work for my sake, what he did to pay for my sin and make him my Lord. Now others, and you know some and I know some, they have no clue who Jesus is. No, no clue who the Jesus of the Bible is or was. Uh, and this was exactly the case of many in the early church. The 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, I'm sure most of them, if not all of them, knew of Jesus. Okay? Jesus was not an unfamiliar character to them. They didn't have the New Testament like we have, and they didn't have the benefit of Sunday school like many of us had, but they knew of Jesus. Okay? Uh, But it was Peter's sermon and the Holy Spirit working through Peter's sermon that convinced them that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was who they needed to trust in for their salvation. 
Now, I'm going to share with you something now, something that I, I know I have shared a number of times, and I come back to it on purpose uh, frequently because I think it's something that, it, that it's, uh, that, that's so important. It's so crucial to understanding the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in the saving of souls. And I'll ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight, so I'm going to try to keep it moving here. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this, uh, as again, every time I, almost every time we look at that passage, uh, I'm, I'm, I share this. I'm, I'm, I, uh, it strikes me that Jesus was flesh and blood. And these are, he's asking this question to the men who are walking with him, who know him on earth better than anybody else. I come back to a conversation that I had with a friend of mine many years ago uh, where, I, where I sort of expressed my frustration. Why can't God just make himself a little more obviously aware? It would be so much easier to convert people, you know? And, uh, and, and uh, my friend responded to me, I was a, you know, young believer at the time, and he said, uh, uh, you know, Jesus Christ was the fullest revelation of God. And there were people who were in his presence who did not recognize him for who he was. All right? And so, and this is Jesus saying, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who says to Peter, you didn't get that from me. Peter confesses the Christ, who do you say that I am? I say that you're, you're the Messiah, Son of the living God. And, and Jesus himself says, you didn't get that from me. God the Father had to reveal that to you. So you are blessed. You are blessed. And I always follow it up with this question. If they didn't get it from Jesus, are they going to get it from us? They still have to get it from God. All right? Now, Keep that in mind, and I'm going to look at a longer passage here in Romans chapter 10. Now, we're going to spend some time in Romans, all right? It's the next book as we go through the Bible, and Romans needs to be camped out in for a little while. I'm not saying we're going to be there forever, but we're, we're, we're going to go through some parts of it anyway in detail. Uh, I've ref- I've, I have called Romans Paul's magnum opus. It is the closest thing in the New Testament to a systematic theology. This is where Paul lays out what salvation is for the Jew and for the Gentile. Romans is exactly what Martin Luther hung his hat on, his theological hat on, when it came to the, the Reformation. This is a, it is the writings of Paul in the book of Romans that inspired Martin Luther uh, to, wrote the thing, uh, to, to write the things that he wrote and to take the stand that he took because the message of grace, the message of salvation, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, is clearer in the book of Romans and stated more specifically, probably, than anywhere else in the Bible. So, I'm going to read the first 17 verses of chapter 10 
in Romans. Twice we're going to do this. I'll tell you why here in a second. Chapter 10, Romans, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now keep in mind, I'm not, I'm not going to break this down verse by verse. Don't panic. I'm not going to stop after every verse. But remember, Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a very legalistic Jew. He knew the word. He was trained in the, in the Jewish tradition. And, he, and when he became converted to Christianity, his heart was still always for the Jews, even though he became the apostle to the Gentiles. All right, so he's kind of laying, laying out his case here. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let me read that again. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ put an end to the idea of seeking righteousness via the law. For Moses, verse 5, writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, I'm going to read it again, and you can read along, or you can just listen, or whatever. I'm going to read that whole passage again from the message. I don't often use the message for study. Uh, If you know anything about Bible translations, you know, uh, some are translated word for word from the Greek, like the New American Standard Bible. That makes it a little less readable, but more accurate for study. NIV is a sentence-by-sentence translation where they kind of, they get the thought across. Uh, and the message is basically a paragraph, or uh, even, it, it, it really is uh, an interpretation, almost, rather than a pure translation. But, I have found in my, in my study time, I cannot vouch for the entire book, uh, but Peterson, Eugene Peterson is the guy who, who did this, uh, gets it right more than, he, more than he gets it wrong. There's some, there's some 
passages that I would disagree with. And there's one little piece in this that I'm going to share with you that I might have a little bit of a problem with, but he makes a lot of this very clear. So pay attention to this. Here's what he says. This is Romans 10, 1 through 17 from the message. Believe me, friends, all I want for Israel is what's best for Israel. Salvation, nothing less. I want it with all my heart and pray to God for it all the time. I readily admit that the Jews are impressively energetic regarding God, but they are doing everything exactly backward. They don't seem to realize that this comprehensive setting things right that is salvation is God's business and the most flourishing business it is. Right across the street, they set up their own salvation shops and noisily hawk their wares. After all these years of refusing to really deal with God on his terms, insisting instead on making their own deals, they have nothing to show for it. The, early, the earlier revelation was intended simply to get us ready for the Messiah, who then puts everything right for those who trust him to do it. Moses wrote that anyone who insists on using the law code to live right before God soon discovers it's not so easy. Every detail of life regulated, regulated by fine print. But trusting God to shape the right living in us is a different story. No precarious climb up to heaven to recruit the Messiah. No dangerous descent into hell to rescue the Messiah. So what exactly was Moses saying? The word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing, body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God, setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Scripture reassures us. No one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us acting the same incredibly generous way to help everyone who calls out for help, to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls help God gets help. But how can the people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why Scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. But not everybody is ready for this. Ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? But the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. Isn't that great? There are so many good things being shared. Humanitarian things, nice things, polite things. But if it's not the word of Christ, nobody's going to get saved by these things. And it's not just, listen to this, it's not just the word about Christ. It is the word of Christ. You understand? It is Christ's word, God's word. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, or more accurately, by the word of Christ. Now, 
this is the phrase where I think Peterson maybe misses it a little bit. I love this whole translation. But that phrase, hearing comes, uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, would be so much simpler if it just said, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Because then we could just say, well, read the Bible, hear the Bible, and, you're gonna, and then you've got the opportunity uh, to express faith. Or you gain faith by hearing the word of God. But it's hearing, the hearing itself comes by the word of Christ. Meaning that God himself has to have something to do with the hearing and the understanding, which I think is exactly what Jesus said to Peter back in Matthew. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You had to have a supernatural revelation from God before you could confess Jesus as the Messiah, and we do too. What does this mean? It means if we are interested in seeing people saved, we must pray. We must pray. I'm going to share something with you uh, before I tell you a couple stories. Uh, in Acts chapter 26... And we will uh, we'll start this in a week or so. But this is Paul before Agrippa. In Acts 26, beginning in verse 12, Paul is telling Agrippa about his conversion experience. And we get a little more detail here than we have, uh, than we read, when we read about uh, Saul's conversion experience. We get some of it. Paul gives us a little more detail here as he recounts it. He says in verse 12, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles whom I now, to whom I now send you. Now, now stop right there, because what I'm sharing with you, if we are going to pray for the unbeliever, which is really the whole point of this message. This is where we are ending up. We want to have scriptures to base our prayers on. Now, there's one famous one when we talk about praying for the lost that we're going to get to. I just want you to understand there's more than one way and more than one scripture to stand on when we're praying for the lost. And what, uh, if we're going to pray effectively, what must our prayers be in? They must be in faith, right? Right? If we're not asking in faith, we're just throwing stuff up there. And God, in his mercy, I believe, reserves the right to answer the prayers of desperation, to answer any prayer he wants to, but he has promised to respond to the prayer of faith. And faith begins where? Where the will of God is known. So we want to know, we want to know that what we're praying for is God's will. And this is one of the most powerful statements because it's coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. In verse 18, he says, To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they, might receive, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
This is the heart of Jesus Christ. That their eyes would be open and that they would come to faith in, in, in him, he himself. You can jot these down. So I would, I would, I, if you're just going to jot down one scripture, it would be Acts 26, 18. And then uh, next, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now when we talk about this, uh, and I, th- I, don't think this is right, I don't think it's either or, I think this is right. We, we turn to this verse a lot when we're praying for our nation, we're praying for politicians, we're praying for leaders, local leaders, state leaders, national leaders, global leaders. We pray this because we're commanded to pray. But look at it in the full context I think it just becomes richer. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So he's saying, yeah, pray, pray for those who are in authority, for kings, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. But what's he saying this in the context of? That God desires all men to be saved. So what's at least one of the things we ought to be praying for? Their salvation, right? Okay. And I admit it's hard sometimes. There are certain leaders who, man, I don't want them in heaven with me. (laughs) You know what I mean, right? But wow, I wouldn't want to be in heaven with me if I wasn't saved. God can change people. All right. 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And what he's saying, or what you see, you'll see this in context when we finally get to, to this uh, book is that Peter's he's already addressing this this early on there were people who were like yeah I thought he was coming back I thought Jesus was coming back soon you know they thought they were in the last days right then and they were just at the last there's a lot more last days than they thought there were at the time and Peter's saying you know it's not because he's slow it's not because he's slack it's because he's patient the longer he waits the more people get saved and he's a good God Matthew chapter 9 Matthew 9, beginning in verse 37. But when he saw the multitudes, he was... Yes, when he saw the multitudes... No, 37. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the verse uh, that we've become accustomed to praying because this this is Jesus giving his specific instruction of how to pray for the lost. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into the harvest. This is one very specific thing we can pray about and be a part of, that God would continue to raise up people here, across the country, and around the world, This is a missionary prayer that people would go out into the harvest to preach the word and bring that harvest in. The harvest is plentiful. That's good news. 
There are a lot of people ready to be saved, but they must be harvested. They have to hear the word of God before they can respond to it. Right? All right. A couple more scriptures. 1 John chapter 5. My favorite, absolute favorite prayer scripture. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Man, that's a powerful promise. Now that means, and this is where you know faith begins where the will of God is known. If we are praying according to his will, we can believe that he hears us. And if we can believe that he hears us, we can also believe that we have those requests. So if we're praying according to his will, we can have what we're praying for. And we've just read a few scriptures there that tell us exactly what his will is concerning salvation. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation, right? Is it Jesus, Jesus Christ's will? Is it God the Father's will? that men be saved everywhere. It is. So when we pray, we are absolute, when we pray for anybody to be saved, we are praying according to, will of, according to the will of God. John chapter 6. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And this is super important because that goes right along with what Jesus said to Peter. You know, uh, it, it's a it's, uh, much more famous verse is Jesus saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But here he says, no one comes to me Except the Father draw him. Well, now that's a, that might be a favorite verse of those who just cling to the doctrine of election. God is going to save who, who God's going to save, and we have nothing to do with it. What this tells me is, I just want to be involved in that. I want to pray, God, draw this person by sending laborers into the harvest because you are not willing that any would perish. Prayer is powerful and necessary especially when it comes to the harvest of souls. So here's my question. Is there somebody, and this is a silly question because I'm sure everybody in here, every single one of you, could quickly answer yes to this. Because I don't want you to think in generalities. I want you to think of individuals. Is there somebody that you would really like to see saved? I, told, uh, I shared this uh, many, many moons ago about Dwight Moody's list. Uh, remember that story? Dwight Moody, the great evangelist, founder of, uh, you know, of course we got a, there's this whole Bible school uh, named in his honor, radio networks, preaching networks, etc. Great man of God. And he, he carried a list uh, in his pocket, I think, with a hundred names on it, uh, of, of uh, individuals, maybe men, I don't know, but individuals who he prayed for daily for their salvation uh, for years, decades even. And uh, when they would, uh, as they came to Christ, he would check them off if he was aware of it. At the time of his death, uh, 96 of them had confessed Christ, and the last four came to Christ at his funeral. 
Now, only God knows for sure. But I have to believe that 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 kind of percentage absolutely was connected to his devotion and prayer. And I'm... Don't, I don't know this. I don't know anything about who was on the list. I can't name one single person. That list probably exists somewhere. I just haven't, I, I haven't done any digging for it. I do not know if he knew all 100 of these people or if he knew some of them and some of them were maybe just famous people, people he knew of. I come back to Paul or Saul. Somebody was praying for Saul. And I don't know if it was somebody who knew Saul or somebody who knew of Saul. Because Saul was famous. Saul was infamous. Remember, when he finally did get saved, the disciples were afraid of him. He came to report to Jerusalem, and they're like, not this guy. Barnabas kind of had to pave the way, didn't he? I want you to think of people, first of all, of course, your family. People that you know and love, friends, true friends, or people just that are on your friends list. I see people on my uh, Facebook feed that I haven't spoken to in person in years, sometimes decades, but I have fond memories of the time that we did speak daily. And some of these people are far, far, far from God. But since I see them, I think about them. And sometimes what I read makes me mad. Sometimes it makes me sad. And way too infrequently, it makes me pray. And that's what I want to change. People that we know, people that we love, and people that are famous. People of influence. Pray for kings and those in authority. This is a command from Paul. How many, now the people he's writing this to, how many of them do you think had a personal relationship with kings and those in authority? But they're supposed to pray for him anyway. And the implication there, it'd be silly if Paul said, well, since you don't really know him, your prayer's not going to have any effect. That's not what he's saying at all. I think the assumption there is you pray and your prayers are going to be effective whether you know this person or not. So we think of those in authority. That absolutely goes for leaders, for politicians. We pray for our president. We pray for our senators, our congressmen, right? But what about actors, people of influence, musicians? You know, musicians are at the top of the list. When you look at entertainers, and I include sports figures in this, nobody touches the influence and the wealth of musicians. Very, I can't think of a single billionaire actor, but there are billionaire musicians. Incredibly famous. The Scottish political activist, uh, Andrew Fletcher, said this, let me write the songs of a nation. I don't care who writes its laws. Let me write the songs of a nation. I don't care who writes its laws. They are people of tremendous influence. And sometimes we look at it and it's just silly. There's some, and, and I know, I know part of it's just my age. You know, the good music has all been written, right? Stuff these kids are listening to. Get off my lawn, right? But it's this whole, it's not just the music, it's the lifestyle, it's the message, it's the whole, this aura of the star. 
Well, guess what? Instead of cursing them and rolling our eyes, how about we pray for them? Because what a platform. Dad and I were just talking earlier today about the, you know, the Super Bowl. And what a, what a refreshing thing it was to hear the coach and the quarterback and several players not just saying, thank God, but I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody on the radio this morning, and I turned it on just as I was taking Riley to school, so I can't, I, I can't say who it was. I just heard him saying it just as I turned it on. He said, you know, even Billy Graham in all his Billy Graham-ness never had an audience of 103 million people at one time. But this coach did. And he used that platform, however briefly, to give praise to Jesus Christ. I thank God for people like that, don't you? And let's pray for more people like that. Look up, and, and there, there are uh, books and lists and websites dedicated to this to tell you exactly how to pray for the most influential people in the world. And they're, they're, not, they're not all politicians by any stretch of the imagination. But you think about what people could do. I can imagine, listen, this is, this is conjecture. This is not scripture, all right? I'm, let me, I'm just full disclosure. But I can imagine what some people might, the people who were praying for Saul, weren't just praying for protection from him. Oh, Lord, save him so he'll stop persecuting us. They were saying things like, wow, here's a guy with influence. Here's a guy who's got the ear of the Sanhedrin. Here's a Pharisee. Here's a guy who, Lord, if he came to you, could do great things for you. It's precisely because of who he is now. Now, God is not bound by that. You understand, some of, the great, some of his greatest ministers down through the ages were nobodies until he raised them to a position of usefulness. But Paul certainly was not in that category. Paul was somebody of influence, somebody of power, somebody with gifts. And God certainly used who he was as, as a platform to launch him. Now, now, Paul, he never rested on that. He, 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 made a, he makes a point of listing his bona fides and then says, uh, oh, and by the way, I consider all that to be a heap of dung compared to what lies ahead of me because of the glories in Christ Jesus. He was centered, man. He knew exactly what he was doing. But what a thing to pray for. So here's the thing. I want you to think of people. I want you to think of people right now. Three people. And I want you to write them down. And I want you to pick one. Praise and worship team, come up here. I want you to think of or write down one person. It could be somebody who's near and dear to your heart, but you know they're not saved. I'm talking about an unsaved person now. Is that clear? It could be a world leader. It could be a friend. doesn't matter. But somebody who is far from God. Somebody you would desperately love to be saved. Writing it down is a good idea but I want you to at least picture that person and don't shout any names, but raise your hand when you've got somebody in mind. Raise your hand when you have somebody in mind that you would like to be saved right now. Okay, that's almost everybody. Stand up with me. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to hold your hand out. This is an exercise. We're not getting goofy here. This is just a matter. This is visualization. Hold your hand out and picture that person in your hand or picture their name in your hand or write their name in your hand. And I want you to lift them up to God. And I'm going to pray. I want this to be your prayer. You don't have to repeat after me. But I'm going to pause while you fill in the blank. You don't have to say it out loud. 
but this is what we're going to pray. Lord, I lift up this person to you now. And I ask you to save them. I believe this person can have significant impact for your kingdom. But more than that, I pray for this person because I am convinced that you love them and Christ died for them. I love them too. And my desire is to see this person come to the saving knowledge of God through repentance and belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Send laborers across their path. There are people in their sphere of influence, Lord, who know you and that have opportunities to speak into their life, so grant them boldness and wisdom. Now, if this is a person you know, pray this. Lord, if that laborer is me, grant me boldness and wisdom. And make me aware of every opportunity to speak on your behalf. Help me to lay down my pride or anything else that stands in the way of sharing the word of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.